Next week we will continue our study of the book of Genesis. Uh, but this morning you'll see uh, in your bulletin that our text is taken from Philippians, is chapter 3. Now the reason I, I chose this text is it's good from time to time to pick a text out that clearly explains what Christianity is. Uh, but it also is very clear about how we should respond to that. How is this faith, this the true gospel, changing our lives? Now let me tell you, I don't think anybody understood the gospel better uh, than the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul, um, who wrote our text this morning, uh, it's, actually, it's actually his testimonial. If you ever write a testimony, probably a good place to look and go, this is probably how you ought to do your testimony. Now let me tell you what's amazing about the Apostle Paul. If you were to take all of his letters that he wrote and put them together, they would be about that thick. If they were paperback, you could put it in your back uh, pocket. But his letters have transformed the lives of millions because it is the Word of God. I heard someone say that no one has had more influence on the history of mankind other than Jesus Christ, uh, than the Apostle Paul. And because of that influence, and I think his clear teaching of what the gospel is, that once understood, can empower you through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, he has come under great scrutiny. The Apostle Paul has. I remember when I was uh, at the university studying under professors, uh, who did not like the Apostle Paul. And when I was at a university uh, as a chaplain with RUF, I had colleagues who didn't like the Apostle Paul uh, because they felt that he had basically truncated the teachings of Jesus. That Jesus was not God in the flesh, that Jesus was a good man who was a good teacher. Not someone who came in the flesh as God to redeem sinners. Uh, to himself. But I would suggest to you this morning that the reason the accusations are leveled at the Apostle Paul is because the message that he reveals is the message of hope that's contrary to every religion that's out there that tells you to put your confidence in yourself. How good you are. How wonderful you are. Your church attendance. And the gospel, Paul says, has nothing to do with that. And it has everything to do with whether you're in Jesus Christ or not. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's why we start churches. That's why we do mission work. So I want you to turn to our text. This morning it's in Philippians. And I want you to pay careful attention to God's word through the Apostle Paul. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is, does not trouble me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision 
who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have even more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're the God of mercy and grace. And one of the ways we see your grace is you've given us your word. Men moved by the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the very intentions of who you are and your purposes. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you especially that your word reveals to us the person of Christ and what he did, his resurrection, and the hope that we who are in Christ all have not only this day, but forever. Father, I pray for any who are fuzzy on the gospel. Uh, Lord, that you would make it clear to them. Uh, Father, those who've been influenced by teaching that gets their eyes off Christ, known to themselves. Father, I pray for those who are here today. Maybe they're coming back to church for the first time in a long time, and they have a lot of doubts and a lot of questions and maybe a cynical spirit. But Lord, you brought them, and I pray that you would minister to them. And I pray for those who might be here that just don't believe any of this. That your spirit would open their eyes to the resurrected Christ. And we ask things, these things in your name. Amen. Over the years, you've heard me make the statement that, <clears throat> that confidence is what you have five minutes before you understand the real situation. That's true, isn't it? But the fact of the matter is, uh, we all want to be confident, don't we? Uh, we all want to have confidence because, let me give you the definition of the word confidence. Listen. It is the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. Uh, it's a Latin word. It's two words put together to give us the English word. Con, which means with, and, and fide, which means full trust. 
Uh, no one would want to lack confidence. Uh, or to put it uh, another way, not be able to trust in something or someone to have full trust. If, uh, if you're a businessman and you're confident in your business or you're confident in your investments, then you probably go to bed well at night. Uh, but if you have things in maybe a, a high-risk stock, you might be really concerned right now. You're wondering what you should do. But if you, if you know that you're secure and your finances are secure, you rest easier at night. And appreciate the things that money can, can bring and the freedoms uh, to a degree that it can bring. Uh, that if you are um, to be successful on the field of play, if you're an athlete, then it's very important that you have confidence in your athletic ability that you can actually beat the opponent that's before you. Confidence is a very, uh, with, with full faith, whether it's in yourself or whether it's in someone else. Uh, no one would say, you know, I'm not sure I can put my full trust in you, but would you marry me? Right? In fact, when we get married, we, we take vows because we cannot put our faith and our trust and our romantic feelings for, other, for, for each other because that's come and that's go, go. But to put your faith in a person that you believe will keep those vows no matter what the circumstances are. But that's not the title of my sermon, is it? The title of my sermon is Assurance. Now, you might be confident. Maybe you say you have confidence in the gospel. You know it's true, you believe it's true, but you don't have assurance. Uh, the assurance of, of salvation. Now, here's what's interesting about the word assurance and how it relates to confidence. It's not the same word. Words have meaning. And assurance goes like this. It is a positive declaration intended to give confidence. It is a promise. It's a promise. In other words, if I tell you, I assure you that I will be there on time, that is my pledge that what I said is true. And you can bank on that. Let me illustrate this way. Uh, if you're feeling sick or, or you're concerned that something's going on in your body, maybe you have a lump in your throat or, or maybe something on your skin, maybe you're starting not, to not feel well, it's a little bit unusual, and all of a sudden you're not feeling confident in, in your health. Things are a little bit out of control and you're a little bit afraid. And so you go talk to your friends and, and your friends want to assure you. They, they, they want to say, hey, it's okay. But it's kind of a false assurance because you know that they don't know anything about what's wrong with you. Like the people who say, oh, you, you'll get married one day. That's not true. That's a false assurance. How would they know that? And so you go to the doctor because the doctor knows. And so you tell the doctor, Man, I've got a problem. I'm not feeling well. You give him the symptoms, and God says, wow. I think we need to test you and see what's wrong. And so you go through all the tests, and you have to wait two or three days. Some of y'all have been through this, and many of y'all have had cancer at Redeemer. And, and, you, and, and you're so, you, your mind is spinning. You go through all the scenarios of doom. And then the doctor calls you to his office. You go see the doctor. And he has all your x-rays or EKGs or whatever it may be. And the doctor 
assures you. Because he says, you're okay. It's nothing but a mole. You're fine. And then all of a sudden, hope returns, doesn't it? Uh, You have hope for tomorrow because you don't think that you're going to die the next day. Hope, confidence, assurance, they're all tied together to give you a sense of purpose and hope. I know a lot of you are struggling with a lot of things in life. So maybe you're a believer, maybe you're not a believer. Maybe, maybe you don't know you're a believer. You're not sure. But if there's something we need to know is this promise of this assurance uh, that everything is okay. Not just that you're confident uh, that the gospel is true, but you have the personal assurance from God himself that is all is well with you. Now I want to ask you an important question. Are you assured of your salvation? Do you know without a doubt if you died today and it's going to happen that you can stand before God Almighty, the holy, righteous God who's the creator of the universe and be absolutely assured that you're in Him and that you can rest in His promises? Well, that's what I want to look at today. Would y'all say that's an important topic? Or maybe at one point you did believe. You were walking with the Lord, but you began to go down that pathway of looking away from Him, looking to the other external things, and then ultimately looking to your own flesh. And so you've lost your confidence in the gospel. You're doubting whether you know Jesus Christ. Now, maybe some of you go, well, I'm not worried about that. I mean, I came to visit today, and people say, hey, check Redeemer out, but I don't believe all this stuff about being saved and needing to be saved. Well, you need to be saved from something. And whatever it is you're believing, it, right now it's trying to save you. You're trying to use that to save you from whatever your situation is. But let me ask you this. What assures you that you're right? Or it could be that you have a false assurance, and that really concerns me. You know what the false assurance is? Oh, I believe the gospel. Man, I go to Sunday school. I go to Presbyterian meetings. I'm an elder. I'm a deacon. I'm a leader in the church. And you're putting all your confidence in the doctrines of Christ. But in no way is it changing you. So you have a false confidence. Because we're going to see how it impacts the Apostle Paul. So this morning, uh, what I want to look at is this. And here's, I guess, my proposition that true confidence comes in the assurance from God that he has provided a certain hope in the person and work of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, something happened 2,000 years ago on that cross. And if it's finished, it's finished. But the question is, Have you appropriated his death and resurrection in your life in such a way that you will be able to make the declarations that the Apostle Paul made at the end of our day? So there are three things. First off, what what is this message of the gospel that gave Paul confidence? So why is the message of the gospel, why, why does it not change? And then I want to say, what is the message of the gospel? I just want to make clear, make sure that you understand 
that you're not to put your confidence in your faith or in your flesh, but in what Paul says here. And then more importantly and most importantly, the question is how can you know if you've really received that gospel? That, that would be a good question. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. I think I believe the right things. I'm not sure if I'm a Christian or not. Well, I, I, let me tell you, I've been praying all week that there would be somebody today who, whether you're a Christian and you've lost sight of God's grace, that you see it, or whether you're not a Christian, to understand His grace and His mercy. So the first thing to see, and I think you'll see it in verse 1 and 2, is why the message of the gospel doesn't change. It, it doesn't say later, 500 years later or, or 1,000 years later, uh, the new and improved gospel, <laughs> Right? This has been added. Now you have the super-duper gospel. What does he call it? The same message. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to tell you uh, the same thing. Now let me tell you, if you were to study the, uh, the book of Philippians, uh, you'll see the chapter before this. It, uh, there's division starting. Uh, verses uh, 1 through 4 says, uh, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort, any love and participation of the Holy Spirit, any affection, sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full accord of one mind. And do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant uh, than yourselves. Now why would that happen? Let me tell you, a lot of y'all say, man, I'd love to go back to New Testament Christianity. No, you wouldn't. Because they were fighting like cats and dogs. Go throughout the, the, the letters that Paul had to write and how discouraged he must have been sometimes because here the gospel comes and, it's, has, and it's, it says, listen, it's nothing about you. It's about you becoming part of the body of Christ and that Christ is the head of the church. And yet there's division. I wonder why they're really starting Good Shepherd. I wonder why those people are really leaving Redeemer. Versus, well, wait a minute. Maybe it's because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and we're excited about starting another church. Isn't that amazing how we do that? Now, why did that happen? Why does it always happen? I'm going to tell you why it happens. The reason it happens is Clay will go and he'll preach the gospel. And then I think people are going to be saved. We've seen a lot of people here, if I could ask you to stand up, you've been converted because Redeemer came here. And you know why people get saved? is because they're so broken, their lives are so screwed up. They know down deep there's nothing they can do now. I've given my life up so bad, and then here comes Clay, and he preaches. Oh, but you see, it has nothing to do with righteousness. In fact, your righteousness, or if you think you're righteous, will keep you from the gospel. And so people go, man, this is great, right? Hey, you mean God accepts me? Like where I am? I mean, you have no idea. I'm a, I'm a harlot. I'm a pornographer. Uh, I've cheated on my taxes. I've ruined my marriage. I'm a hypocrite. And, and, and then you hear, but, but it has nothing to do with that. That's exactly who Jesus is, uh, is coming for. And then all of a sudden, they change. Because of the regenerating work of the Spirit. They believe this gospel that some of you have still yet to believe. It doesn't change it. But here comes the Judaizers. 
It's always this. It's been for thousands of years. The gospel is preached. There's hope. There's life. There's the free gospel in Jesus Christ. And then there comes the teaching. We get our, Clay, you get organized. And you get particularized. And then people say, well, I want to go now. But the reason they want to come once you get particularized is because uh, they're not happy where they were. And so they come here. And then they begin to teach this doctrine of, well, look, you have to be real careful about grace. You have to put a little guardrail on it. And uh, because, you see, it's not going to lead to freedom that leads to holiness. It's going to lead to antinomianism, which is lawlessness. You know what I'm talking about? They come and they come. Matter of fact, I have to constantly ask myself, when I preach to y'all, did I preach the gospel? Or did I preach some works righteousness? That it's not through Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone. It's not just simply looking to Christ. Yes, yes, it's looking to Christ. But it's Christ plus something. Let me tell you what Paul thinks about people who teach those things. He calls them dogs. Now, not a little cute puppy dog like Maddie. But I mean, you know, the dogs back then, they're scavengers. They're eating all the leftovers that are in the garbage. Scavengers. And so the Apostle Paul says, hey, listen, he calls them out. And then he says, listen, okay, there's a little bit of division going on. Let me tell you why the division is going on. It's because you're not focusing on winning people to Christ. You're not focusing on the gospel. You're focusing on... uh, Something that everybody ought to be doing, or you ought to be doing, and we get our eyes off Christ, we get our eyes on each other, and we start measuring each other as to how spiritual we are. And I'll tell you how spiritual you are if you're a member redeemer. You're not at all. You're either falling toward unrighteousness or self-righteousness. But let me tell you who the spiritual people here are, redeemer, are those who are becoming more and more like children, resting in Jesus Christ. In the same message. What's the message? Christ has been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. Do y'all know that's why we actually say the Apostles' Creed every Sunday? I'm not doing it, oh, wouldn't that look nice right there and we'll seem like a Presbyterian church. I'm doing the Apostles' Creed because the Apostles' Creed, right off the bat, we're confessing that He's the Creator. He's the Redeemer. He will judge the living and the dead. And oh, I will tell you, you are this morning either in Jesus Christ or you're in something else. And it's in the wrong thing. Somebody says, I don't mind saying this over and over and over again. The gospel's really simple. It really is. But not without the Holy Spirit. Not, not if you're not born again. Not if you don't have the, not if you're not a Christian. You're a moralist. There's no power. But Paul not only says, I don't mind saying it, he says, it's safe. It's safe for you. What is safe? That we're going to see who's the most spiritual person in here? Let me tell you what's safe. Is if you're in Christ. Now the Apostle Paul uses that phrase 160 times. 
And it doesn't matter how sinful you've been. It doesn't even matter how self-righteous you've been. And it really is an illusion when he talks about being in Christ. It really is an illusion to the Old Testament with the shedding of the blood of the Lamb when the death angel came in. <laughs> and the requirement was the oldest son will die unless they are in the house where the blood has been shed. And I don't care if you were the nicest Jewish son there ever has been. Great guy. If you're not in that house, if you were not in that house by midnight when the death angel came, you died. And if you were the worst son there ever has been, you're inside that house, the death angel passes by. Now why do you think that's written in the Old Testament? Because Paul eventually discovered, oh, all this is about Christ. So what's safe, ladies and gentlemen, is not your righteousness. And I tell you, it's not your unrighteousness either. Living in sin, it's being in Christ and resting in Him. So, so that, that's, he's, he's not afraid to say that this is the gospel and it doesn't change but then the question is, okay, for some of you, I go, okay, I'm kind of getting kind of what you're saying, but what is exactly the gospel? What is, the, what is Christianity? And the, the Apostle Paul tells you what it is by giving his testimony. And the way he, the way he does it, he, he, he explains the gospel by telling you what he was and what he put his confidence in before he met Christ, and what he was after he met Christ. So, so Paul says, okay, all these guys are out there telling you you need to be this, and you need to do that, and, and you need to make sure you go to prayer meeting, and if you don't, we're going to take a note of you because you're not as spiritual as the people that do, when actually the people that do go to prayer meeting don't understand the gospel, maybe, possibly. Is that possible? But they're going to do it to establish some kind of righteousness. Well, Paul says, listen, whatever these guys tell you they have, these Judaizers who are saying, yes, Jesus Christ died, he's the Savior, but if you think that's all there is, you're wrong. You need to be circumcised, you need to become Jewish. Or you need to become Presbyterian. Or whatever it is you've got out there. And so Paul says that before... Before I met Christ, I was doing exactly what these guys are telling you to do in the church, and that is to look away from Christ, put your confidence in your flesh. Uh, well, how does he say it? Does I, he, he took pride in his nationality. I'm Jewish. Uh, he took pride in the tribe that he came from. He was a Benjamite. He wasn't like the other ten tribes that rebelled. No, nah, Benjaminite. He was a Benjamite. They were faithful to the end until they sinned. Circumcised on the eighth day, I've been baptized in the Presbyterian Church, PCA, been baptized. Uh, the external observances that we do, that you're at church every Sunday. But you see, if you put your confidence in those things, then they are, then there will never be an assurance. Because you put your confidence in the flesh and there is no one to tell you Hey, you're okay. And so, let me tell you what the gospel is not. The gospel is not your own efforts uh, to save yourself or to be a good Christian. And let me tell you, Christian, 
You, you do know Jesus. Do you know that you grieve the Holy Spirit when you begin to look to the flesh? Man, I should, I should believe more. I should try harder. So Paul was bound uh, by his flesh, but it never really set him free. Now, can I give you the, the, the contemporary version of a Judaizer would be all you people who use Facebook. Paul boasted in his flesh, right? Jew of Jews. And we have all this Facebook stuff, and we put all these things, Facebook and newsletters, Christmas newsletters. You know what I'm saying, right? So, so you're, you're, you're reading. Okay, so you're the lowly and broken. And, uh, and so you get this Christmas newsletter. Oh, yes, my son, he finished, so he's got his Ph.D., uh, and uh, my daughter is on her way to getting her master's degree from Oxford. And your kid didn't even graduate from high school. And uh, they have con- absolute confidence, and they're presenting themselves to be something uh, that they're really not. Uh, you know, it always bothers me. I, it's okay. You can do it. You can send it. I don't know how feeds work, but hey, if you, if you do 5Ks, I mean, my hat, hat's off, especially if you do more than that. But it always makes me feel dumpy, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I like donuts, and, you know, you do CrossFit and mud runs. That's okay. I'm not saying, because, because you said, man, I'm not going to post that anymore. But, <laughs> but don't we do that? We put these things out there, and I'm telling you, it is not to encourage people. It's to go, you know... I lost 25 pounds using my Fitbit watch. I have a Fitbit watch, but I'm like, man, I need to be doing something on this Fitbit. (laughs) Man, I don't have it on today. Okay, surprise. See, see, before Paul's conversion, he loved loved making everybody else feel low because you know what? He was putting his confidence in himself. Do Do you enjoy being around people like that? Is that, does that, is that a wonderful church where everybody can't ever say, you know what, I'm really struggling with some major sin in my life? That was Paul before, but notice what Paul says, what Paul says afterwards, the portrait of himself after he was a Christian. So he was trusting in all this stuff, right? And then he met Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus. And of course, what he learned later was once he met Christ, that as he began to study for three years, oh man, the whole Old Testament, I missed it. I thought I was about to do this and do that, but the whole Old Testament and all the laws and the ceremonial laws were pointing to Jesus Christ. But that was confirmation after he met Christ. You understand that? When he met Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus, he was on his way to kill Christians. In fact, it was right after Stephen was converted. And a lot of commentators think that Paul was really bothered by Steve's conversion because Steve, Stephen expounded on the Old Testament like he had never heard. And he probably coveted Stephen's knowledge of the Bible and uh, his understanding of what it pointed to. So Paul was hammered on, on covetousness. But he's on his way to, to Damascus and he meets Christ. Now let me, let me tell you what he didn't say when he met Christ. Jesus Christ says, and he says, Paul, Paul, here I am. Same resurrected Christ is raised from the dead today. He said, here I am. And all of a sudden, his worldview had changed. 
And, and he, he didn't say, yeah, okay, well, what about those who've never heard the gospel? What about the Trinity? He didn't know it, all the implications of that, but he knew that the resurrection of Christ meant that everything else that he had believed or anybody else had believed had been false. So what did he learn? Well, notice what Paul says he puts his confidence in. He said, I consider what I put my confidence in before, my own righteousness, my own, uh, my own self-aggrandizement, all the stuff that I had achieved, and he had achieved a lot, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to understand that. He said, I consider it scuba, dung. Not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes from God through Jesus Christ by faith. So what did he do? He lined up all the other stuff that mattered to him. On one column he did accounting, and then he lined up uh, what it meant to have a righteousness from God. And he considered this column all done. Nothing. Now let me ask you, if you could really grasp that gospel. Because I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if there's anything you need right now, it's not more money. It's not a boyfriend, it's not a girlfriend, it's not a husband, it's not a wife, it's not grandchildren, it's not children, it's not a great church. Let me tell you what you need. If you're not in Jesus Christ, you need a Savior. You need to be saved from both your unrighteousness and your self-righteousness. And you need to be saved from your knowledge of Jesus, but you've never trusted in Him. And so I say, well, how would I know? And I have to close on this. So but the question is, has that happened in your life? You say, well, how would I know that? How would I know that? Well, notice in verses 10 and following. Paul says this, that I might know him. Uh, and the power of his resurrection, uh, fellowshipping in his suffering. So I want to close by asking a couple of questions because you see, not knowing, I'm just telling you, not knowing about Jesus and believing all these things will not change you. You say, well, then how do I change? How do I change? Well, let me tell you how you change. First off, you, you, you give up uh, on anything that you've looked to. You give up on it and you come to Christ. And you might say, well, I don't really care one way or the other. Then, you know, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God will have mercy upon your hardened heart because, you see, you will not believe apart from God's grace. But Paul meets Jesus. And, and the, the sign that he wants, that he knows Jesus, is that, is that he wants to know him. He wants to spend time with him. Does that mean you have a quiet time every day? No, a lot of you can have a quiet time every day and not know Jesus anymore than the man in the moon. Because it's not your devotional life, it's your devotedness to him. I'm devoted to Christ. Lord, please forgive me, I didn't get up today. You don't beat yourself up, but you say, but I know he's devoted to me. And not only does it say that, but he wants to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of the resurrection. You know, here's the difference. I've been uh, known Muhammad, I've been a Buddhist or whatever it may be. You, you, you can know the principles of the teachings, but you can't know him because he's, does, he's not alive. But Jesus, he's been raised from the dead. And there's a power that comes through union with Christ by the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing he says to fellowship and his suffering. Well, why, what does that mean to, to 
to fellowship and to suffering. Let me, let me tell you what I think it means. Did you know what made Jesus unique? Was he, was, he was led by the Spirit. And, you know, he was, he was not good, but different. He was good, but he was more than good. Why was he different? Because he was of a, you know, he knew the Father. Uh, you've heard me say, is, you know, being a Christian is not being nice, but it's being new. What, what made, what, why was Christ crucified? Because he had a righteousness that was his own. Here's what I think, to, to follow Jesus Christ is, man, no matter what, I want to know him. And when you become more and more like Christ, the more that you share in his sufferings because what elicited that, uh, that uh, the uh, anger toward him will, will come toward you. If, if not, I mean, if nobody's ever mad at you or, or, or you know, uh, it, it could very well be that you know all kinds of things about Christianity. But you're not sharing it. Paul said, that I, want to, I want to know him, I want to make him known. So I want to conclude. We have to take the Lord's Supper. I want to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ? Are you born again? Uh, do you know, it's not just about knowing about him, but I mean, you have surrendered your life to Christ. If you have not, I would encourage you, if you sense God's calling and tugging upon your heart this morning, then confess your sin and come to him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ and all that he's done, all that he's accomplished. Father, we who are believers know that all our right, we know everything about us apart from Christ is dumb. But we thank you that through our union with Christ, you've made us alive. And we can have full assurance because all the promises in Jesus Christ are yea and amen. Would you, would you convert someone this morning? Would you bring them to Jesus Christ? And Father, for those who've hardened their hearts, would you bring them back to yourself and look to you and not their flesh. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.